Welcome to Tattooed Freaks and Business Suits, recorded live at the Personal Touch Career Services in Denver, Colorado. I am your host, Donna Shannon. As a professional career coach, I help people navigate the hiring maze to get to jobs they really love. And yeah, by the way, it's true. The world of work in the U.S. is changing, especially as Gen X millennials and those to come after us seek positions of leadership that still allow them to be themselves. So our show's purpose is to address some of these evolutions and what that means for your own career. And of course, we're going to talk about tattoos. Our sponsor is the Personal Touch Career Services, Denver's top-rated career coaching service. So check out our signature 60-day job search program along with all of our resume packages at our ridiculously long website, Personal Touch Career Services.com. Once again, that's Personal Touch Career Services.com. Or, you know, you can just Google it. Does it feel like your career or even your job search is stuck in quicksand? And what exactly do I mean by being stuck in quicksand in the first place? Many people are like, oh my God, job searching feels like quicksand in the first place, right? It's just kind of like flailing against this force that feels like it's sucking you down. And that's because most people don't have a real job search strategy. Think about it. How have you been told to find a job in the past? Well, you go online and you find positions and you apply to them. And then you wait for HR to give you a call so that you can get your interview scheduled and you know, make positive impressions and all the rest of this. If you've been paying any attention to stuff online, you might hear some more advanced job searching strategies such as, oh, you need to network. And then all too often people ask career coaches, well, how do you network? And they go, well, you network. And it's like, well, that's not very helpful. You're not giving me any specific strategies on how to do that. That's one of the reasons why I like to teach people how to network, right? Or you might hear the phrases of reach out to hiring managers, which is something definitely that I teach. But if you don't know how to employ these strategies into your job search, hearing these buzzwords just being kicked around may be more in frustration than helpful. One of the big problems that people do repeating the same motions over and over again in their job search is just because they don't know how to implement all these things that they're being told to, what to do. It's easier to follow the path of least resistance, which means applying to jobs online, waiting for HR to call you, hoping to ace the interview, and that they're going to make you a decent offer. Fortunately, there are things that we can do for our job search to start getting out of quicksand. So how, number one, do we identify what is the quicksand in the first place? I want you to stop and think about your job search. So what part of it takes the most time? Similarly, I want you to Think about what do you wish you could do less? Is it pounding these job boards that just over and over again, all you're doing is like for two hours a day, scrolling through jobs, hoping to find that perfect position 
or worse, oh, the ones that I hate is like when people tell me they spent oh hours and hours of tweaking their resume just to get an instant automated computer rejection within 24 hours. You know, that is obviously not a good use of your time. Also think about what has the least amount of reward. The biggest trap with just going online and finding jobs and applying is it feels like you did something. The end of the day, you can say, yes, I applied to five jobs today. Tangible outcomes. However, if those tangible outcomes are not the biggest bang for your buck in your job search, is it really that effective? So what we really want to do with our job search and making sure that we're implementing the best strategies, making sure that we're following up, and look for some unconventional solutions. So let's talk about how to escape this quicksand. In the real world, there's actually four strategies for getting out of quicksand, and these things directly relate to how you wanna do your job search as well. So step number one is we're going to drop heavy items. Yep, we don't want to be sucked down even faster by carrying heavy things. In the real world, that's pretty obvious. In the job searching world, what this means is we need to stop ponderous procedures that don't work. First things first, you need to evaluate your current processes. So if you're going on to Indeed or LinkedIn and looking at jobs for two hours every day, and it's not converting into interviews, you need to drop that item or find a way to streamline that process because it is not serving your needs. So number two is we're going to move horizontally. So obviously in the real world, you don't want to try to struggle up and down in the quicksand itself. You need to reach out and kind of flatten yourself and reach for the sides or the shore rather than just struggling. In job searching world, this means we don't want to be afraid to reach out to hiring managers directly. Yes, this is true. Hiring managers are actually very open to being contacted by job seekers. This is exactly why companies build into referral programs where they ask their current employees if they know anybody to fill certain roles. A recommendation from a current employee always carries a lot of weight, and especially with the hiring managers. Here's the other thing too. Hiring managers will often reach out to their own networks to ask people, you know, do they know anyone who's looking for a position? Because to tell you the truth, hiring managers are just as frustrated with the HR department as job seekers. Yeah, HR screening people on stupid criteria like, did you say excellent communication skills in your resume? Or are you a results-oriented professional? Or do you have the right degree and things like this? When it gets down to it, hiring managers most often want somebody who can do the job. They don't care about perfect degrees. They don't care about perfect backgrounds. They are looking for somebody who fits their team, both culture-wise and talent-wise, 
has the right kind of skill sets and is willing to go the extra mile and prove that they really want this job. That's why they're open to being approached. All right. So our step number three is to lay back. That's right. If you're stuck in quicksand, you need to lay back and float on your back while you move towards your shore. So when we're talking about this in the job searching world, this means we're going to look for unconventional solutions to common problems. So what would be some of these unconventional solutions that we're looking at? So number one, it is helpful to tweak your resume for different positions. I'm not going to lie about that. That's true. That's one way to increase your keyword counts and get through to the HR department. However, you don't want to spend hours and hours doing this. Use some solid tools such as like jobscan.co, which is an online website where you can upload your resume on one half. You can upload the actual job description on the other half. Then it does a keyword comparison and will tell you the exact words you're missing. Ideally, tweaking your resume should not take more than 30 or 45 minutes. If you're spending more than that, you are overthinking this process and you're getting sucked into the quicksand. Some other unconventional ways to solve problems is even looking for where to find the jobs themselves. This is known as the hidden job market. I bet you've heard that phrase before, but maybe you didn't understand what it was. So the hidden job market is any position you can find that is not being publicly advertised. Obviously a job on Indeed or LinkedIn, that's a publicly posted job that's in the open job market. Hidden job markets are all about anticipating the market itself. So for example, if you want to work with a specific employer in your area, one of the things you would look for are trigger events. So a trigger event is any excuse to reach out to a hiring manager. This could be they just signed a new contract, uh, they just hired a new boss, they're moving into a new office, or conversely, they're going to completely remote all the time. Every single one of those is an excuse to reach out to a hiring manager and explain how your talents, experience, and skills, and all the rest of this can help them reach those goals related to that trigger event. I wanna give you a quick example of a trigger event that worked out really, really well for me in tapping into the hidden job market. So a long time ago when I was still working at Rocky Mountain PBS and I was looking for a new job, eh, half-heartedly looking for a new job. And I saw an article about a company here in town. It was a radio station that had just bought a bunch of repeaters through the mountains. So if you don't know what that means is with FM signals, when you hit things like the mountains, just the way the signals work, unless you have repeating towers, the signal dies. It gets it hits the mountains, it doesn't go any further. So because they bought all these repeating towers, it was extending the reach of this local radio station in through the mountains. And they talked a lot with the CEO and he was mentioning his vision about this was a, um, innovative company. They wanted to be locally driven, local market based, and all the rest of this. Well, I recognized in that 
what I loved about working in local radio. So I crafted a very specific cover letter that talked about some of my backgrounds, but most importantly, talked about what their needs were as an organization. And I talked about how well I understood the current broadcasting market here in Denver. So I sent that off to the CEO, figured out the email address, sent along with my copy of my resume, and they actually brought me in for an interview. Technically, they brought me in for three interviews for a job that did not exist. And over the course of these interviews, I kind of identified what they needed. I figured I would be a great executive assistant for the leadership team. Met with the CEO, met the COO, met the director of sales. Uh, about a month after that, they officially posted the job. I applied again to be official. And they brought me in again for another official interview that time. Now, as it turns out, they hired a relative instead of me. Well, you know, that's somehow yeah, how the cookie crumbles. But it's all right. You know, the company was uh, had to sell about a month or two after that. You know, they went under and lost their vision. So, you know, sometimes things happen for a reason, even if they're not the outcomes that we hoped for. But that's how positive and powerful it can be to go out and find these opportunities that don't exist yet. You can craft jobs that are based on your talents and what you bring to a team and can be more impactful than just going out and applying to these jobs you see online and hoping for the best. That's how we learn to escape this quicksand by laying back and looking for those unconventional solutions to these common problems. So number four is to take your time. That's right. In when you're stuck in quicksand in the real world, if you thrash around and you get all anxious about what you're doing, you're going to actually sink even faster. So you need to calm your mind down. You need to think it through and take your time and move slowly and with purpose. In your job search, this means you need to do things right the first time. Anytime you're applying through HR, you really only have one shot. That's it. If you mess up the actual application, or you didn't tweak your resume, or you uploaded the wrong resume, or you hit the apply now button on LinkedIn and didn't attach a resume, every single one of those is a fatal event. There is no room for mistakes when it comes to your job search. You really, really only get one shot at this. And I've had people come back and tell me, you know what, I did make a mistake on my application or I adjusted my resume. Can I resubmit it now? Most of the times you cannot. The only way you can reapply to a position is if they list it again. That's why it is so important to think outside of the box, reach out to the hiring managers directly, because even if HR cuts you, you can still get in touch with the hiring managers and they can resurrect you as a candidate. Meaning, doesn't matter if HR cuts you. If the hiring manager wants you, then they can make it happen. So let's talk about one extra bonus tip for getting out of quicksand, 
which is to use your friends. That's right. Get somebody on the outside of the quicksand to help pull you out. In job searching, this means you need to engage your network and ask for help. That's right. You need to let everybody in your network know you are indeed looking for a job. This includes your past colleagues, past supervisors, even your family and friends. Everyone should know that you're looking for a position, uh, assuming you're not in a confidential job search, of course. But even better than that, they should understand what you are looking for. You're not going to get good recommendations on jobs or leads if people can't envision what you do. You need to be clear. You need to be concise. And you need to make it so that they have such a crystal clear understanding of what you're looking for that when they hear somebody else in their network say, oh, I'm looking for a software developer, they instantly go, you know what, Bob, Bob is an often awesome software developer and you need to contact them. That's the real power of your network when they understand who you are and what you are looking for. So those are just a few tips to get out of the quicksand of your job search. But let's talk about, are you really in quicksand or not? How can you tell if your job search is being successful? Well, for most people, it means they got a job offer, right? There's actually some key performance indicators for your job search to pay attention to so that you see your metrics before you get to that point. That's right, you probably have heard about the HR black hole. The HR black hole is resumes go into their system never to be seen again because you get very, very little feedback in your job search. That's why it's important to understand what these metrics are so that you can apply them, make sure you are moving forward. So our very first important number is our ROI on applications. That's right, your return on investment. This means how many job interviews are you landing for every 10 applications that you submit? And I'm talking about the very first initial applications. So not in subsequent interviews with the same company. I'm talking about the very first time they contact you for that first screening interview. Ideally, you should be landing between one to three phone interviews for every 10 applications that you submit. That's right one to three phone interviews for every 10 applications. If you are not hitting that number, there is something wrong with your resume, your LinkedIn profile, or your application process overall. And let's talk about how many applications you should be cranking out a week. I have heard and have seen this advice online that some people think applying to a jobs is a numbers gain, meaning they take the shotgun approach. They're just going to apply to as many jobs as possible in a week. And just like throwing spaghetti on the wall, they're going to see what sticks. That's a horrible way to find a job. Number one, you're not screening the employers. You're not finding things that are a good fit for you. It's a soulless grind because all you're doing is apply, 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 and not thinking things through at all. And not to mention, it's uh, when you're cranking out that many applications, not only are you more inclined to make mistakes, 
you're also more inclined to start applying to jobs that are phishing or scam jobs and things like that. So it's, it's a horrible idea all around. Yeah. You don't need to apply to 50 jobs a week to be effective. As a matter of fact, it's better to remember, slow down, take your time, do things right the first time, and only apply to a maximum of five to 10 jobs a week. You will get much better results by applying with purpose, taking your time, doing it right, versus that shotgun approach. Not only are you going to land more interviews per every 10 applications, you'll find that the jobs are a better fit for you as well, both in terms of money, culture, opportunities for advancement, and everything else that really makes you happy once you do land that job. Now, what if you're not hitting those key metrics, right? What if you're not getting the one to three phone interviews? Here's some problems that you might be running into. So number one, it could be your resume. Simple as that. We need to make sure the keywords are correct in your resume itself. In any given job posting, if you're not sure what the keyword is, and maybe you've heard about the applicant tracking system or HR screening computers or an ATS, it's all the same thing. So before your resume gets read by human beings, a computer has to screen it. And the way it does this is it looks for certain keywords and phrases that are in the job description. If you have enough of those keywords in your resume, then it moves forward through the screening process and gets to a point where a human being is going to read it. In general, you need to have a 50 to 70% match of these keywords just to get through that process. Notice I did not say qualifications. I said keywords. And here's the trap that a lot of people fall into and they don't realize. When I'm talking about keywords, it's a mix of both our smart and stupid keywords. So a smart keyword is anything that actually relates to the job itself. So if we're talking about our software developer, that would be like agile and waterfall project management. And it might be, you know, requirements and all the technical skills that they have, you know. The stupid keywords are things like excellent communication skills or team player and detail oriented, right? These things that we honestly know don't mean very much, but the trap is If HR puts it in the job description and it does not show up in your resume, the computers could kick you out and say that you're not qualified. One of the worst ones I see, and it's so stupid, and it breaks my heart when I see this one, is if they have in the job description the words bachelor's degree, but on your resume you have a BS for your bachelor's of science, the computer could kick you out and say that you do not have any education. Why? It is looking specifically for the word bachelor's degree. Huh. I know. BS indeed, right? But that's how the screening process works. It's not about qualifications. It's not even about intelligent design. It's about does your resume have the exact words 
that are in the job description. Doesn't mean we need to write like robots, but it does mean that we need to have that 50 to 70% keyword match just to get through the process. And by the way, if it's a government resume or for a very large organization, that screening process might go up to 80%. Do you see now why you need to get in touch with these hiring managers? Yeah. All right. Another problem. Why wouldn't HR be calling you back? Maybe your online profile is not conveying the right message. Did you know that 90% of recruiters are using LinkedIn? Not only that, companies will go back and look at your LinkedIn profile regardless of where you applied for the job. That's right. Even if you applied on their own website, they're still going to go back and look at your LinkedIn profile to see any number of things. It could be they're wanting to find out a little bit more about you. They want to read your recommendations. Uh, whatever the case may be, if you notice that somebody from a target company looked at your LinkedIn profile after you applied, but you never got a call for the interview, it means there's some sort of mismatch in the messaging between your resume and your LinkedIn profile, and it scared them off, and that's why you did not get the call. So last thing, how can we increase our ROI on our applications? Groups. Yep, groups. Especially groups on LinkedIn. Anything that we can do to start promoting our involvement in our local communities, whether it's on LinkedIn, meetups, associations, whatever, anything we can do to get outside of ourselves and connect with humans virtually, in person, in social media, whatever the case is going to be, the more people we touch, the better we're going to be. Now, I, I don't mean touch in an inappropriate way. I mean just something to raise your hand and go out there to the world and go, you know what? I'm here and I'm here to be supportive of others. Good energy breeds good energy. And I know I'm not the most fluffiest coach ever, but there is some truth to this, that when we are of service to others, they are more inclined to be of service to us back. And that, that is the key to networking. <gasps> what? That's how networking works? Yes, yes, that's how it works. All right, let's talk about another few important metrics to really understand. Number one, we just talked a whole lot about keywords and profiles and how that works. So one of the big metrics that if you are getting automated rejections within 24 to 48 hours of when you apply to a job, absolutely 100% your resume bombed out on the keywords. Yup, that is exactly what that means. So if you see that happening over and over again, now you know how to fix it. You've got to go in, you have to tweak your resume to those jobs, spend 30, 45 minutes doing that. Double check your work with jobscan.co. That's what we use internally in my company. And yep, I highly recommend it. You're going to streamline that processes because um, let's face it, just applying through HR is not your best use of your time. All right. So thinking in terms of timing, how long do you have from once a job is posted to how much time do you have to get your stuff into the HR department? Honestly, you've got about three to five business days for most positions. So why is that? Well, HR usually takes about one week 
you know, five business days to collect all the applicants and resumes, and then they start their screening process. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, Donna, I saw this job was posted 25 days ago and it's still open. Of course I'm going to apply. Well, yes, the job is still open. It's still being posted, but that doesn't mean that HR is looking at all these latecomers. The only reason they would do that is if they're not getting qualified applicants earlier in the process. I know that sounds harsh, but that's the way it works. Also, the other thing, HR will leave these job postings up depending on their policy. Different companies are different, but they might be leaving it up there until the actual new person starts on the job. That's especially true if you see a job posted on the company's website right? Because technically in their mind, the job is open until somebody starts. Hmm. Also, it's rare, but this will happen sometimes that they'll get very deep into an interview process with a candidate only to have the person turn down their offer and they can't come to an agreement. And maybe the next person, their second choice turns it down as well. So now, rather than going all the way back to the drawing board and reposting the job, although they will do that sometimes, they'll go back to the slush pile, maybe take a look at all the late applicants then. So in general, get your stuff in within a week of that job being posted or when the deadline closes, eh, just to be clear. And again, that's another reason why you want to follow up with hiring managers if you saw your dream job was posted two weeks ago, yeah, go ahead, get your application into HR so you can legally apply to the job, but then put all your efforts into getting in front of those hiring managers because they're the real decision makers anyways. And even if you're a latecomer to the HR application process, hiring managers can push through what they want. Got it? Good. So, since HR doesn't get back to a lot of people, our black hole situation, how long should you wait before you could expect to receive an interview? Now, their screening process may start one to two weeks after the job closes or after it's been posted for that long, but the actual interviews are going to start somewhere from three to four weeks after the original job posting was made. So if it's been a month and the company never called you and you never got a rejection, it's fairly safe to assume that you didn't get the interview. Let's talk about some time and money issues. So biggest question I bet is out there in your mind is how long should my job search take? Well, there's an old standard out there that for every $10,000 in salary you want to earn, you should devote one month into your job search. That's right. So if you're looking for a job that pays $100,000, it should take about 10 months to land that job. Now, I know there's some people out there that are making, you know, over 250,000 in their base. They're like, oh my God, that's a two year long job search. Okay, I do think even for executives, it kind of maxes out at a year, but still, oh my God, that's a year long job search. Talk about soul sucking quicksand. Ugh, nobody wants to do that. 
I don't want to do that. And I'm an expert at this stuff. And I enjoy it. Ugh, that's disgusting. Good news is, once you start to learn what the hiring systems are, how to play the game, how to deal with HR, find those hiring managers, activate your network, interview effectively, you can start to cut that job search by half. That's exactly why I love teaching classes on these things and coaching people both one-on-one -on -one and in groups so that we can get those timeframes as short as possible while still making sure you're getting into a job that you love, identifying bad employers and all the rest of those things. Because you don't <laughs> talk about soul-searching madness. Imagine doing a 10-month-long job search and you get into the company and within one month, it is clear that this place has got the worst company culture you've ever seen in your entire life. And all you can do is just hope and pray that you get hit by a car on your way into work so you don't have to spend another moment reporting to this boss who's just destroying your very soul. Yeah, that's the worst of all possible outcomes. So... Anyways, just a little bit of promotion. I would suggest picking up my book, Get a Job Without Going Crazy. Maybe even talking to one of our career coaches about how to possibly shorten those times. And certainly, as part of this podcast, as we do more talking about job searching and career management, I'll be happy to share secrets with you too. Because in the end, nobody wants to do a year-long job search. It is very reasonable to cut that time frame in half when you start doing things beyond just applying to HR, hoping for the best, and waiting with bated breath by your phone to get that all-important phone call. Cool. All right, let's talk a moment about budget. Yes, you have to spend money to make money, and that includes your job search. So I know many people are like, huh, looking for a job. What do you mean I have to spend money on my job search? It's actually quite reasonable to spend 1% to 3% of your target salary on your job search expenses. So, what does that mean? A job search expense can be anything from a professionally written resume to paying for your LinkedIn premium account. All of those things are reasonable expenses. And think about it this way too. If investing in your job search whether it's whatever you choose to do, does something to shorten the length of your job search, it is well worth the cost. Just think about it. Every month that you're out of work or every month that you're not breaking through that glass ceiling and getting to the next spot in your career where you really want to be is technically additional income that you are losing. That's right. So every three months, you may be out of work. That is that much salary you lost every single one of those months. So when you think about it, invest in yourself, shorten the time of your job search. And I don't care what tools you use. I'm saying be willing to understand the cost of business, meaning investing in yourself taking the time, because sometimes time is just as equally an important investment as money, 
to make sure that you can move forward in your career, do what you want, get out of quicksand, shorten those job searches, and get back to your real purpose in life, which is not job searching. Unless you're me, because I'm a freak and I like this stuff. Those are your big important keys to getting out of the quicksand for your job search. Hopefully you got some helpful tips out of this today. And if you have any questions, or if you want to set up consultations, me and my team would be happy to give you a job search evaluation, all the rest of that. Remember our ridiculously long website, personaltouchcareerservices.com, etc. But now we get to the best part of the actual podcast where we get to talk about tattoos. And I want to do something today a little bit different rather than talk about one of my own tattoos or things like this is I want to talk a bit more about the meaning of tattoos. I think if anyone is considering getting some pieces done, it's always helpful to know what they mean. And in particular, I want to talk today about koi fish. Koi fish mean a lot. And just like with any Japanese or Chinese type tattoo, understanding the meaning is very important before you put it on your body because colors, positioning, even where it is, has impact and it's saying a statement. A lot of times too with traditional tattoos such as these, they're meant to convey a sense of strength or invoke a certain aspect within your own life. So with koi fish in particular, koi fish are a lot of times stand for things like masculinity, prosperity, perseverance, and strength. So yeah, I know I never thought of fish as being a masculine thing before, but technically they are. And you know why? Koi fish will swim upstream. And that's another reason why they're a symbol of strength. Sometimes they're even a symbol of fatherhood and things like this. But in general, koi fish tattoos mean a lot of prosperity in one's career or life in general and can have a lot to do with money. I personally associate a lot with koi fish in the perseverance aspects of things. Now, as far as placement, this is what matters. So if you have a koi fish on your body swimming upstream, meaning moving towards your head, it's going against the current. So that is metaphorically for people who are overcoming challenges in their life, right? So they put the koi fish on there to help symbolize that, to give them strength in dealing with the issues as they are. A lot of times, if you see a koi fish swimming downstream or towards your feet, this means that the challenge has already been overcome and you're in the point where you are gaining the rewards of whatever it was that you happened to overcome. So that's what it means as far as the direction of the fish. They usually only go upstream or downstream. They're not necessarily going to be going sideways. That's not traditional Japanese. The other thing that's important with the fish themselves is the amount of water that's around them and the nature of the water itself. So the more turbulent the water, the bigger the challenges. This is a lot of times you'll see with those fish that are swimming upstream, you have very active water, lots of turbulence, lots of rapids. My koi fish has that as well. Most of the time when they're swimming downstream, the water is peaceful, flowing, very graceful. 
Now, there might be some stuff in the water as well. In particular, you'll see a lotus a lot with the koi fish. So why would there be lotus flowers? Well, lotus flowers are another symbol of like coming up into your own. Lotus in particular are very hardy flowers. Um, they're very strong. They're a Buddhist symbol, of course. And part of this is they grow in the mucky muck swamps in the like gross dirt, you know, in the bottom of the lake, whatever the case may be. And then they come through and they fight through this and then they are just gorgeous, impressive, and a culmination of taking like all that kind of mucky shit and turning it into something important and meaningful and deeply spiritual in your life. So that's what's going on with these lotus that are also combined with these koi fish who have a lot to do with, you know, challenges in the physical world or even the business world as we see with the prosperities and your careers. So that's pretty cool. So let's talk about some of the other meanings as well, because the colors can mean some things in addition. So color matters a lot. And there are blue koi. They're kind of rare, but since they're associated with water and that's where the koi live, this is a lot heavier emphasis on the peace and tranquility as well as the harmony with nature. Black koi are going to be a lot more common. So black is also seen as a masculine color itself. So this it has to do with strength and really getting a strong foundation within whatever you're trying to overcome. White koi are very common as well. Uh, now, of course, white doesn't always transform all that great in tattoos, but, you know, sometimes it does. Um, oftentimes, though, white doesn't mean purity for koi. It means new possibilities are coming. So this is a future based in what you're trying to do. Uh, the yellow koi is all about joy and happiness. The red koi are the kings of the koi scene, so to speak. So the red is very versatile. Um, it can mean love in some cases, but most of the time it represents bravery. And for our orange koi fish, this is another symbol of strength as well as optimism. It also kind of associated with gold, money, prosperity, seeing light at the end of the tunnel, good luck, and all the rest of these kind of things. So those are the main things when it comes into colors. When you've got blended colors or these fish that are you know, have more than one, it can combine all of those different things. Now, there is a dragon koi as well. So the whole story with the dragon koi is quite involved, actually. So in the Yellow River in China, this is the specific myth. So there was a hundred koi fish that all wanted to swim upstream. And as they were going there, and the, they make it through the first pond and they jump up. But there were so many of them, they didn't have the strength to make it. And they got swept downstream, never to be seen again. So of the fish that are remaining in the next pool, now many of them were caught by the fishermen. 
Even more were snatched up by eagles, thinning the herd again. They didn't make it. So up they jump through the next waterfall, trying to make it up to the next pool. And here, some of the Tukoi were quite happy. They made it as far as they wanted to go. They could see the final waterfall up at the top, but they were happy and content, and they didn't want to strive any further. But for every hundred years, there is one of those fish out of the hundreds and thousands that started at the bottom of the river that sees that top gate, that top waterfall, and has the drive and the perseverance to continue onward, no matter how many times they had to take it, to leap up that final waterfall and make it through that final gate, which is known as the Dragon's Gate. And the gods looking down upon this fish were so impressed with his efforts that they turned him into a dragon. And that is Dragon Koi and their legends. And that's the one that I have. So anyways, hopefully you got some inspiration from today. Hopefully this will help get you at a quicksand when it, concerning your own job search. And of course, please feel free to jump over your own gates so that you don't get swept away with all the other fish and that you don't have to settle for things that you don't want to and that you can aspire to become your own dragon. Thanks for listening to Tattooed Freaks in Business Suits, produced by the Personal Touch Career Services. Our host is Donna Shannon. All music has been ethically sourced and licensed from SoundDogs.com and EpidemicSound.com. Support the arts. We certainly do. Join us next time as we continue to explore the evolving world of work and leadership in the United States. If you are interested in being a guest or if you would like to receive a complimentary career evaluation, please visit the contact page at personaltouchcareerservices.com. Once again, that's personaltouchcareerservices.com. Or you can just Google it.